0: If you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have, um, turn with me to the book of James. Now we're going to be in two places, Lord willing, this morning. We're going to be in the book of Je- we're going to start in the book of James, but we're going to go over to the book of Genesis here in a little bit. Uh, James chapter four, verse seventeen. All right, I'm going to read that. That's the last verse in chapter four. Uh, I want to begin there this morning. So we'll read this one verse. We'll go to the Lord together in prayer. Then I would ask that you would just continue to pray for me, pray for the service, pray that God's will would be done here this morning. James chapter 4 verse 17 says this, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Let us pray together. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you. Lord, we thank you for the good day and for the many blessings. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning to worship you in spirit and truth. Thank you, Lord, for the roof that you put over our heads, Lord. Thank you for the nation that we live in. Lord, the freedom that we have to gather here this morning openly without fear of persecution. Uh, or any kind of backlash. We thank you, Lord, for our church family, each one who has uh, took this opportunity to come out this morning. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you poured out on us. But we thank you most of all for your Son Jesus, Lord God, that you sent Him and that you give Him, so that we might have life and have Thy life eternally and abundantly. We don't deserve it; we're we not worthy of it. But Lord, and you knew that, but you done it anyways. So, Lord, let us always have praise and glory on our lips for you, because you alone deserve it. And, Lord, I pray as we go forward here in this service this morning. Lord, I want your will done here. I want you to be pleased with everything that is said and done. I want you to be glorified in every action, every word, everything that takes place here. I want you to receive all of the glory for every bit of it. Lord, I want you to have your way and your will here in our midst. And God, I know part of that is you're the searcher of hearts. And Lord, there is nothing here that is hidden from you. Nothing that you don't already know, that you don't already see, that you've not already heard. So Lord, I'm just praying, asking Lord, that you'd touch us here this morning. Lord, if you have found anything in our heart in our life, any thoughts that we've dwelt on in our mind that does not please you, does not uh, bring you glory, does not belong there, anything that is sin, God, I pray, Lord, that you'd bring it to our attention, to the forefront of our minds. Don't let us ignore it any longer. Don't give us any peace until we repent of it and get it out of the way because because it's coming between us and you. It is, it is interrupting our fellowship with you. It is separating us from you. So, Lord, we know that uh, you've made it clear to us that the most important thing to you is our, our walk with you, our relationship with you. So, Lord, whatever is hindering that, Lord, help us get it out of the way this morning. Lord, I pray not only for a great moving of your Holy Spirit here this morning. We've already felt your presence here. We already felt you in the song service, in the scripture reading. Lord, we know that you're here in our midst. And Lord, our hearts desire is for you to continue to move, for your will to be done here, to lift up and encourage those that need to be lifted up and encouraged, to give you healing touch, those that stand in need of a healing touch. But most of all, if there's any here that is lost and undone, any that don't know you, any that are separated from you, any that have fallen away, whatever the case may be, God, let today be the day that they would come to themselves, they would repent and turn to you before it's everlasting too late. And Lord, let me ask one last thing. I don't feel worthy to do what I'm doing here this morning. Uh, I know that I don't have enough understanding and enough knowledge and ability. I know that. But I also know that you've called me to do this. So, Lord, I'm asking, Lord, that you would help me this morning because I can't preach without you. So, Lord, clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts and your message. Forgive me of where I fall short. Place on my tongue the very words that you'd have me to speak here this morning. Lord, let them know that it's from you through my spirit to their spirit. There's one dying man to another. Lord, I'm asking for your anointing, your holy unction. Lord, pour it out on us this morning, and we'll give you all the glory for it. Lord, we love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I love the book of James. I've preached through the book of James a time or two, at least, probably at least once since I've been here. One of the major themes of the book of James is doing, right? You'll hear me quote often, uh, let us not uh, be hearers of the word only, but let us be doers of the word, right? That comes from, uh, from a scripture here in the book of James, right? Uh, the, one of the major themes or the major theme of the book of James is doing, right? Uh, you could just look at that word doing, right? But it's not doing just anything, right? It's doing what God has told us. To do right that is James is telling us that over and over. James uh sums up everything that he has warned us about in this one challenging scripture that I've read to you here this morning. maybe you've took it lightly, maybe you've just glossed over it in the past, but it it, it is a challenging scripture if you will really uh, if you'll really begin to look at it he calls James calls our attention to the fact that it's not enough just to know the truth. There's many people that walk out of the doors of this church and not just this church, but churches all throughout the land every week that know the truth. James tells us here, it's not enough to just know the truth. There's groups that teach that that's that's it as long as you know you know but James is telling us right it is not enough to just know the truth as a matter of fact because of the very thing that, that very thing that James focuses on so much you know throughout the years there has been many church leaders that have, thought, have that have sought to have the book of James removed from the Bible that doesn't think that it should be a part of the Bible because they are so adamantly opposed to what he's teaching, it's not enough just to know the truth. Think about Jesus's uh, encounter, and think about the well. Let me let me back up and say it this way: the demons know and fear and tremble. Right? It's not enough to just know the truth. we, we must act on the truth, right? In obedience to God, to His Word. It's not enough just to know the truth. That's why change focuses on being a doer, not just a hearer of the Word of God, but be a doer of the Word of God, because it's not enough to just know the truth. We, that truth must have such an effect on us that it causes us to act upon it. It changes our behavior in response to it. The things that we desire, the things that we want to do, right? The things that we do. What we every part of our life. That's why he says right here in the scripture, therefore to him that knoweth to do good, right, there's that word do, therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, right? Those that know to do good, but then don't do it, you know the right thing to do, but then you don't do it, to him it is sin. Help me out here for a minute. I've forgotten. What is it that will, What is it that is kept out of heaven? What will stop you from getting there? Sin. Yeah, sin. That's what's, there's not going to be any end. Passage after passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, right? Go to the book of Revelations. The end, read there in the last chapter or two. Last couple of chapters of the book of Revelation. What is it that's on the outside that will never enter in? Sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. This right here is a clear warning against willful disobedience, right? That's what this is. That's, I, in my opinion, the proper term for this. Willful disobedience. You know what you're supposed to do, but yet knowingly, willfully, you don't do it. You do something else instead. Knowing what's right, but choosing not to do it, that is willful disobedience. The fact is that God uh, did not make us like puppets. See, that's where so many get wrong in their theology, their thinking, their understanding, right? They want to turn us into puppets that had no choice. But you see, God gave us a gift that we refer to, um, it's, it, we refer to it as free will. That's where the name on the sign comes from, as a matter of fact. You could phrase it this way. God gave us the gift of choice to choose. We could go all the way back, we were having a conversation, I think it was this last Wednesday night, Uh, about this very thing you could go all the way back to the garden of eden and you can see that there is a clear choice that is given there right right there's the tree of life and there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil they're told adam and eve is told that they could eat of everything of the garden but except for the one tree the tree of knowledge of good and evil Right? What is set before them is two choices, right? They're given, a, they're, given, they're given a choice, right? They can choose life, or they can choose death. They can choose to obey God, or they can choose to disobey God. Now, the Bible says that Eve was deceived, but that was not the case with Adam. Adam knew what he was doing. He knew what is what's our scripture today say therefore, to him knoweth to do good and doeth it not. to him it is sin? Willful disobedience? Adam knew, but he willfully chose to disobey God. we been they were given the gift of choice. You see them exercise it right there. Free will. They could choose, right? They weren't puppets. There was no—if they had had no choice but to sin, if they had no, had no choice but to choose to eat of that fruit, of uh, that forbidden fruit of that tree of death, then they would have been nothing more than puppets. And how could that be? How could the punishment be God's justice? They had a choice. They could choose to obey, or to disobey. You know, did, did you realize uh, this is something that um, I didn't realize at first that God had to show me? But did you know that the Old Testament is full of examples for our learning? Right, uh, we have a lot of physical uh, examples of, of their. Spiritual truths, right? For every spiritual truth that is taught in the New Testament, there is a physical example of it being illustrated in the Old Testament. That's why Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Those things are written for our learning, for us to look, look, look at those and to learn from them. So let me give you maybe about three examples here this morning. I could probably give you a lot more than this, but let me give you about three examples here this morning from the Old Testament about the difference between choosing to obey and choosing to disobey. Willful disobedience. Let's go to Genesis chapter 4. Diane read it for us here this morning. Cain and Abel. I won't go back and read it again. She read it this morning. But anyways, we know from Genesis chapter 4 that, uh, that Cain made the decision to give a sacrifice to the Lord, right? We know that, right? So there comes a time, right, Cain and Abel, right, the first two the first two born, right? The first two, I heard somebody say it this way and I I never thought about it that way. The first two, human, the way that we think of human, in other words, they had a natural birth coming into this earth, right? They weren't created, right? Right, Adam and Eve didn't have a childhood. They're created full grown, right? From the dust of the ground, God formed the man, right? And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, right? And then when it comes time to make the woman, right, a deep sleep come over the man, right? And from his rib, from his side, Was the woman made? That's why he said, Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Cain and Abel are the first two with natural birth. Two brothers. Genesis chapter 4, what Diane read about this morning, was there come a time that they brought a sacrifice? Uh, Abel chose to bring a sacrifice and brought his sacrifice. Cain likewise decided to give a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, that might sound all good, right? But remember what Proverbs tells us. And Proverbs uh, uh, actually says it a couple of times, but I always think of Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12, where it says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Cain chose. Cain and Abel both had a choice to make. They both chose give sacrifices. But there's one thing that's easily missed in all of that. Abel chose to give to God first, and Cain chose to give to himself first. And then once he saw he had enough, he brought God what was left over. God wasn't pleased with it. He never has been and he never will be. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's right, so what happens in this whole thing right? Cain got mad, right? C- Cain got mad, and Cain made another choice. He chose to murder his brother right there. The first murder takes place, right the first first ones the co- first humans to come into this world from a natural birth, right uh, fully human the way that we think of a human born into this world, and the, and one of them commits the first murder. I think there's a lesson that we can learn here, right? Besides what I'm trying to preach to you tonight or this morning. Be careful what you think that you will do and what you think that you won't do or you would never do. I don't think Cain started the day thinking that he would murder his brother. I don't think he got up this morning and said, this is it, this is the day, I'm killing Abel today. Maybe he did, but I don't think so. What happened was, as he's talking, he's out in the field, and he's talking to Abel. And he remembered that the Lord was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, and not his. You see, Cain wanted to have favor with the Lord. But in that moment, his jealousy caused him to have murder in his heart, and that's what he did. That was Cain's choice. The Lord Lord had already warned him of the evil that was in his heart, and he still chose to follow his heart and to murder his brother. Can I say this to you this morning? You've heard that saying, right? And You've heard people say it, follow your heart, follow your heart. Trust your gut and follow your heart, right? I've heard both of those so much. Can I tell you something? As your pastor is speaking from the scripture here, as an authority speaking in the, of the scripture of the word of God here this morning, can I say this to you? Don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. It will lead you astray. Do you not remember where the word tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? Don't follow your heart. Follow the Holy Spirit of God. You follow your heart and you'll end up, and you'll have problems with jealousy and lust and all of those things. And you'll end up just like Cain. Can I take you further in the book of Genesis and show you another example of a man who had choices to make? If we go to, and I'm going to read you a couple scriptures here, Genesis chapter 39. If we go over to Genesis chapter 39, we're kind of in the middle of where it talks about and tells us about uh, Joseph and his life and the things that happened to him. Remember, Joseph is Jacob's favorite son, right? Joseph is the one that has the uh, coat of many colors. Joseph is the one, uh, when he's a young man, what is he, 17 years old or something like that, and he has the dream, right? Uh, And he goes and tells his brothers bowing down to him, and his father and his mother, too, right, bowing before him. And he goes and tells them. and, And, of course, they already don't like him because they know that he's dad's favorite, right? And that just... You know, makes them that much more angry with him. And then one time, when the rest of the boys are out uh, uh, taking care of the father's herd, they're up by the town of Dothan. And anyways, uh, Jacob uh, sends Joseph to go uh, check on his brothers and see what's going on, right? And when they see him coming, because they see that fancy coat that his daddy had given him from a long ways off, and they decide, you know what, we're gonna we're we're gonna take care of this dreamer. We're gonna kill him. We're gonna get rid of him finally, and we'll take that fancy coat of his and we'll cover it in blood and we'll take it back to daddy and we'll tell him that some wild beast had got your precious little boy and killed him. And then one of the boys said, wait a minute, let's not kill him. Right? It was Reuben. Reuben's trying to buy time. Long story short, I didn't come to preach about all that. They sell him into slavery. Some Ishmaelites come along. They sell him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt he ends up at actually he ends up being the overseer in pontifer 's house. Pontifer is one of the uh, one of the military leaders in Egypt as a matter of fact he 's part of what we 'd call the top brass you know he 's one of the top Generals, military leaders for uh, for Pharaoh there uh, in in Egypt, and so everything that Joseph did, right? God was with him, and God blessed him, and blessed his hand, and and, and everything that Joseph touched because of God's blessing prospered and done well. And it didn't take Pontifer long to see that, and so Potiphar put him over everything in his house. And, and let's just read here. Um, well, anyways, Pontifer put him over everything in his house and made him the head. I don't know if you'd call it. Head servant, uh, overseer, or whatever, there of everything in his house, plumb to the point where Potiphar didn't even have to worry about the things going on in his house. He knew that Joseph had it, and God was blessing it, and it would do good. Look at verse 7 in Genesis chapter 39. Verse 7 says, if I can find it here, and it came to pass after these things. That his master's wife, okay, so it's talking about how after these things, is after uh, Joseph has been put in this position, God's been blessing him. Things have been going well, right? Potiphar is trusts him, doesn't worry about it, knows that Joseph's a good man, take care of it, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, right? Pontifer's wife got an eye for Joseph, right? Cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master, wanteth not, right? In other words, knoweth not what is with me in this house. And he he hath committed all that he hath uh, to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. And how, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He tells uh, Pontifer's wife, he says, Look, your husband has put me over everything. He's trusted me with everything. The only thing that he has withheld from me is you. Right? Well, do we not see the same choice that's given to Adam and Eve in the garden? right? There's only one thing that was withheld from them, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? And God said you can have of everything else and freely take of everything else except for this one thing. This is the only thing withholding from you. And they had a choice to make and they willfully disobeyed. Here Joseph has got a choice, right? He is put into Potiphar's house. He's put over everything. Caretaker of it, just like Adam and Eve was caretaker of the garden. Here he is caretaker of everything, right? Do you not see the story repeating itself here? The choice is given it again? But this time, Joseph, did you notice what he said? He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph had a choice, and we see him making this choice. And because Joseph was focused on God, Right? You want to know what the secret is? He made the right choice. You want to know what the secret of that is? It's because Joseph had his focus on God. His focus wasn't on some uh, material thing. It wasn't on some lust. It wasn't on the flesh. It wasn't on what he thought. It wasn't on his own heart. His focus was on God. And, he, and that's how, and that's what enabled him to choose good instead of evil. Joseph, I mean, he says here, how can I do this great wickedness and, and sin against God? Joseph knew it was wrong and sinful to do what this man's wife wanted him to do. Joseph's choice was to do right. Now, I want you to understand that sometimes obedience to God is going to cost you. Sometimes Deciding to obey God and choosing God over the world brings some harsh consequences, not from God, but from man. If you look down at verse 20, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, right? I, I didn't read to you the rest of the story, but in case you're not familiar with it, what happened is Joseph says, no, the woman grabs Joseph, right, by his by his pants or his shorts or however you want to say that, by his clothes and Joseph, as, she ta- as he tears away from her, she is able to hang on to his garment and then whenever her husband comes home she lies and says, look, you know this servant, this Hebrew you put in here look, he come in here and tried to lie with me, right, in order to mock you and when I yelled for help he run off and he was so scared he left his pants behind well you come home your wife told you that story right how would you react same way Pontifer reacted he was mad uh, he didn't kill Joseph that would have kind of been my first reaction probably but he did have him thrown in prison he was a man of power he had the power to do that and it came to pass, verse 19, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy, servant, uh, did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. Right? And understand, right? I mean, that seems like... I, it, Think about it from Joseph's perspective for just a minute. He chose God. He chose the right thing. And it's got him thrown into prison, right? And listen to me. Prison in that day is not like prison today, right? There is not activities. There is not outside time. There was not uh, air conditioning in, in furnace, the heat in the winter time. Uh, there was there was not, you know, these three square meals a day. There was not all these uh, opportunities to further your education and, uh, you know, uh, places to watch TV and exercise. and I mean, they didn't have any of those things. There wasn't even medical care. As a matter of fact, most people that were in prison very long died because of the conditions in there. It was very hard to live long, almost impossible to live very long in prison, to stay alive in there. But listen to me. God was still with him. The very next verse, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. You go along, and you read a little farther here and it's not long. And because of God's favor on Joseph, Joseph's running the prison. He's like the top trustee or whatever. Listen to me. The Lord said he would never leave us nor forsake us. It was true in Joseph's day and it's still true today. Of course, Joseph's time in prison was only temporary. You go on and keep reading through the book of Genesis if you're not familiar. uh, That would be good reading for you this afternoon. Let me show you one more real quick. Turn to the end of the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. I can sum up for you in one verse. Joshua's choice. Joshua twenty four fifteen, Joshua is talking to the people, and he says, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served and were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You're going to have to make a choice. I've given you examples here of ones that made choices both ways. Tried to share with you how that worked out for them. Basically here in Joshua, Joshua is kind of like his final words. Joshua is telling the nation of Israel that they're free to do whatever they wanted. Free will. They've got a choice, right? They've been given the gift of choice just the same as Adam and Eve was, just the same as uh, Cain was, just the same as what Joseph was, right? So were the people given that choice just the same as we are today. He's telling them, you're free to do whatever you want. They were free to serve the false gods or they were free to choose the only true and living God. The one who had provided for them or those fake, made-up false gods that had given them nothing. But Joshua makes it clear to them that he and his house, they're going to serve the Lord. So, if you're here today and you're not serving the Lord, you're here today and you're lost, you've got a clear choice to make. Either you can serve God, the only true and living God, or you can serve all the false gods of the world for those of you that are here today and that are saved I want you to remember something you cannot obey in your own strength you see Christians that fall you see Christians that willfully uh, disobey God willful disobedience I promise you every time it's because they're doing whatever they're doing in their own strength in their own power, and in their own flesh. You cannot obey in your own strength. You ain't got enough willpower to do it. I ain't either. Listen to me. You know this, right? You you quote it right back to me. You're saved by grace through faith. That's what Scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you're saved by grace through faith, then that's how you're going to have to live also, is by grace through faith. We can only live out the command that James has given us to be a doer. And to him that knoweth to do good and to do it not, right? That we can only only live that out. And live out the command that James gives us and emphasizes over and over. By dependence upon the empowering grace of God in our lives through the Holy Spirit of God. Let me say it this way, again. Don't follow your heart. Follow the Holy Spirit. Don't. What do I mean by follow? Don't be led by your heart. It's deceitfully wicked and it will lead you astray. Be led by the Holy Spirit of God. When the scripture makes it clear that's how we're categorized that's how we're uh, not categorized but that's how we're identified that's the word I meant to use there for as many are led by the spirit of God they, these are they are the sons of God you want to please God be led by his spirit don't follow your heart It'll take you the same place Cain's heart took him. Follow the Spirit of God. He'll never lead you astray. Will you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar, and I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come this morning? You've got a need, you've got a burden, would you come this morning? Whatever it may be, would you come this morning? Don't hold back. Don't think I've got another opportunity. Don't think that, that, that you know, concerned about what other people might think. It don't matter what other people think. All that matters is what God thinks. Would you come this morning? If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, whatever it is, would you come this morning? Would you come? Hallelujah.